The global computer chip shortage is impacting industries from medical devices to military equipment. In autos, General Motors saying could take a $2 billion hit in 2021 thanks to the semiconductor shortage. It announced three temporary plant shutdowns as assembly lines wait for more chips. Last episode, our Blitz Talk 31, we talked about how the semiconductor shortage happened and how important they are in our modern day society. You know, we certainly see GM shutting more production lines down this week, but if we can't get critical chips we need for fighter jets, military applications, artificial intelligence applications that the economy is increasingly running on, it's a big problem. We are are transitioning to a digital economy, and if we don't have these chips, we're in trouble. But why can't we just scale up production and meet demand? Well, we think it might be a supply chain problem. There are only a few players in the space of manufacturing chips, namely Intel and TSMC. This means that supply chains are not diverse. And these companies have a lot to lose. Apple relies uh, almost exclusively on semiconductors made in one spot in Taiwan. And TSMC is an incredible company. But if something were to happen there, there's effectively, we we could possibly go years without Apple being able to ship iPhones or iPads. And so with the disruption that the pandemic has provided, we're realizing how important these chips really are. Join us as we parse through the supply problem the chip makers and chip consumers are going through and why the solution might be public-private partnerships. Welcome to THC, where we unpack the ever-changing technology economy. Hang out with Jed, Shikar, and Adrian as we tackle the industries of tomorrow. This is Things Have Changed. So last time we really covered a whole lot about um, chips and semiconductors and why it's important, how it runs our lives, um, how it's in everything we do and interface with in our world today, right? And specifically, we kind of called out the 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 shortage that car manufacturers had to face. And what happened was COVID hits, car demand really low, car manufacturers tell the chip companies, hey, we don't need your chips. We, they cut out the amount that was... Uh, that they would need to source from these chip manufacturers. Now, when they do that, there's since so many people went online, these chip companies were like, you know, rubbing their hands and being like, yes, you know what? We can give this, this the amount that the car manufacturer said they don't need, we can give it to someone else, like an Apple or a Sony or whatever. Now, Six months into COVID, suddenly people want to get out of their houses. They want to travel. They want. They don't want to use public transportation. They're like, you know what? I need a car. And car manufacturers are like, okay, we need the chips to make the cars because the cars are so advanced these days. Everything is controlled by an electronic system from your braking to your acceleration, steering, audio, stereo, whatever. 
And so they were in this tricky situation where they had canceled orders, but now they need orders like right away. So what happened, like just a recent, like this, this was like just three days ago where GM, you know, there are, there were reports that they shut production for three weeks, four weeks, costed them $3 billion and above and costed a lot of people jobs, which is terrible. You know, what happened? And now they come out and say that because they do not have the chips, the upcoming GM trucks do not, are not as fuel efficient. They'll pollute more because they don't have a specific fuel module that depends on the chips. So my question to you guys is, what else is missing in those GM trucks? All the smog uh, sensors, you know, for pollution. So like Volkswagen. Dude, what if you like put the indicator left and you just steer right? Imagine that. Jeez. We spoke about the demand side last time. And yes, the manufacturers did not plan that well. There's, there's a lot of management planning, sourcing, supply chain, all of that that gets impacted here. You know, you would think that throughout this whole technological expansion, you know, we're, we're living in a software era where companies are fully taking advantage of software development and the, the things, the new things that you can use software to do. Um, I, I don't think that when you look at the last 20 years and how, how much investment and capital expenditure has been put into uh, chip manufacturing, it, it's been lagging um, when you compare it to the early 90s and 80s, when really that's when they were pushing for uh, better hardware, uh, faster computers, trying to get chips smaller and smaller. And looking at the capital expenditure of these uh, chip manufacturers, uh, they, it's been lackluster from, I think it was 2000 to the 2010s. Um, and that kind of created this issue of they're not able to scale, they're not able to have the infrastructure to create these chips. And also with just a, a huge jump in demand, all of their capacities are maximized. And these factories, they can't be built overnight. It, it takes so much, so many years to build the infrastructure. And so the combination of that not being in place has GM <laughs> uh, cutting back on the chips that they're able to make and put in their cars. I mean, you know, if we think about the demand for these chips for certain products, right? For example, like iPhone, you know, Sony's PlayStations and, and other game consoles and whatnot. Some of them will buy exclusively from literally one company, like will buy all their chips from one company. Their supply chains are not diverse. Like it was interesting because I was reading a paper called um, or a paper from a publication called Asianometry. And it's this dude from Taiwan that studies um, supply chain in Southeast Asia. Um, and obviously his main topic since he's in Taiwan is semiconductors. Right. It's so important for Taiwan as, as a country. Right. The the boost that they've experienced from the 50s to become a tiger economy was all reliant on manufacturing chips. Right. So it's interesting to see some companies like the iPhone will exclusively buy semiconductors from one manufacturer. Now, think about how crazy that is. Right. One manufacturer can produce, you know, semiconductors and whatnot and and fulfill the demand of these companies. But if you think about the iPhone, the iPhone, it makes billions of dollars of sales a year. 
You know, like that's a ridiculous product in itself. And it the, the chips come from one spot, right? TSMC. Now, you know, that that supply chain risk is immense. And it's it's fascinating for me to see that, you know, these massive companies would really rely on supply chains. You know, obviously there are po- uh, positive sides to having one supplier um, for your products, but at the same time, you know, the supply chain risk of non-diversity, when we were talking to um, our supply chain expert here at THC, you know, that was one of the important factors of, of having a safe supply chain is having it diverse, not having it come from one place. There are two issues here. The amount of capital needed to build something like this and the complexity. And you can add in time too, uh, which is relevant for GM. So maybe we can start with capital and time. It costs to build a fab, just a fab and having it functional, right? It takes about $4 billion to set it up. The way these chips, they are so immensely complex that it takes a lot of time to get the fab to produce chips that can be put into cars, right? It takes a lot, a lot of time. Like these chips are now smaller than the width of your one hair, right? You're lo- talking about like seven nanometers, 10 nanometers, five nanometers. Sorry, I don't, I don't have any hair, so I, I don't know what the context is here. What is one one hair? <laughs> you have it on your uh, on your chin. You have a decent enough... This hair is uh, thick, anyway. Beard over. Uh, yeah, so I mean... Say you you pay four billion dollars to set up a fab, right? You take it takes two years to make the chips needed, like to start producing good enough chips. It takes one more to get capacity up there, and it takes a, a, a year or two to get the yield up to a point where you can fulfill demand. You can provide too many automakers. So you're looking at five billion up front which scales up to $20 billion and five years duration for you to go from no fab to fab that produces chips that manufacture, uh, car companies need. It's five years. And GM needs it today. They did it with the vaccines, right? Typically, it takes a couple of years to make vaccines. They sped up that process. Can't we have an Operation Warp Speed for semiconductors? Bro, you have 40 billion, 60 billion, 100 billion. Even Apple, Amazon can't do that. But, the dude, the U.S. government just spent $1.9 trillion on a they package, bro. I'm sure we can get is... something in there for semiconductors, which is, by the way, a part of his uh, administration, our new president's administration. Exactly, because they're like, okay, we are severely lagging over here. How embarrassing it is for a company like GM to say, hey, we have a module that helps your mileage but we can't put it because we didn't get the chips for it. Like, that's actually quite embarrassing for a, for a billion-dollar Fortune 100 company. I mean, you look at all the recalls that they have, though. They come out with recalls all the time. But, you know, something I wanted to touch on with why it takes so long for these fabs to be built. I mean, just think about how reliable chips have become. You know, we used to have chips in those PDAs, those early BlackBerry phones, just early consumer technology that we would use. And, you know, it would last you, batteries would die out really fast and you'd kind of recycle it or whatever. But chips nowadays, I mean, Shikar, you can talk better on this, but nowadays they, they can last 50 years. Like the amount of reliability and the robustness of them 
it's unparalleled. It's never been this good. And they're so reliable. Like, like you were saying uh, in our conversation earlier, if there's just one little imperfection on the wait on the waffle waffle the wafer on the wafer just one little imperfection it's scratched so the amount of technology and building these uh manufacturing lines to develop this has to be perfect like i i would assume that these these fabrications are literally like those you know white glove factories where you know there's no dust everything's ventilated it is dude (laughs) i wish i could take you in because it is so like i remember like so i came from abbott which is a medical device space and you know you have technicians uh building the pacemaker so they're taking a with their hand they're putting stuff in and you know i see that and then i come here and it's like there are like robots picking stuff up and zip zapping (laughs) and i'm like everyone's wearing like those like bunny head, suits, head yeah. suits, like gloves, booties on their shoes, no contamination, nothing. <laughs> Shit is real, bro. Like it, they have an air filter for you when you come in and an air shower. I was like, what the hell is an air shower? Dude, there's an air shower just to go in. The chips, they they come, they're made, the first raw material is silicon, right? So that's, you can think of like sand, right? You're taking sand and giving it electrical properties at the end of it. So how many steps does it go through? Like, it's around 270. So 270 processes that takes sand, a layer of sand, and makes it into um, a chip that powers the global economy, right? Right now. Each of that process, even if each of the process had 99% efficiencies, each process at the end you still get 65% yield because 99% scaled across 270 processes just gives you 66% at the end so it's just so less margin of error that it's so complex that you know you really need to have like your stars aligned you need to have a lot of things going your way to ensure the technology reaches the public. You c- cannot just get five people in a room, like how you can build for a software company, build an app and get, you know, if your stars align, right? Like Instagram with 13 people, 20 people, you've made billion dollar exit to Facebook, you know? That does not exist in something like the space because you need to prove that your yields can scale like you can pump million chips and it's going to have good performance so you can't really do it with um, just a small team so you need a lot of investment you need a lot of um, inherent knowledge and that's the the tough one here as well where companies the, the reason why there are only two or three manufacturers of chips I'm not talking about like design companies because like your AMD, your Apple, NVIDIA, all those are design. They design the chips and then they send it out to TSMC, Samsung, Intel to manufacture it. There's only a few that can manufacture it because that knowledge is like gained for like 60 odd years, dude. I mean, the issue there, I think, is how much attention that goes into just, you know, even the field of lithography and material science right? Like it's still a niche field. And at the same time, like you look up 
you know, courses for lithography or even material science. Like it's very limited to certain areas. Material science, there's a lot more things to do with material science, but lithography seems to be a very profitable place. So maybe like a brain drain um, is occurring in which like there's very small amount of people studying lithography. And then we can think about how many of them are working on semiconductors, you know, and how many of them go straight into TSMC or, you know, um, ASML. Right, which is another company that provides the EUVs for TSMC and whatnot. But you know, this type of technology, you can see there is a monopoly of sorts in this area. You know, it seems that there's only a couple of companies that lead um, in the field of creating the semiconductors, start to finish. Maybe it's education as well for the future that we need to focus on. So, what are we going to see in the next coming years? Are we going to see? more diversification in the supply side of companies and where they get their chips? Are we going to see more research and development into the materials and the composition of how these chips are made, how to better make them efficient, more efficient means of, uh, you know, cutting down the 270 processes that need to be done into that? What can we expect to see from uh, electronic and chip intensive uh, products that are really struggling right now? So I'll, I'll, you know, before Shikar goes on with what the future is here, because he's really, you know, ears in the ground with this space. Let me just share something that I, I recently heard of um, on Bloomberg. And it, it was the ASML's uh, CEO, right? He was being asked, you know, a couple of days ago, what's what has changed during the span of the past 12 months, you know, in the semiconductor space for him, for, for ASML's company, right? And, you know, they were saying like, we're seeing the shortage happening in different markets for semiconductors. What are, you know, are you there to fill that demand? And he said, you know, nothing's changed much for me. My orders are going. It's the demands. He is excited. Yeah. He's, he's literally like, they asked him, is there upside risk to this? He's like upside. He's like, there's upside to this. He's like, the next risk, there's no risk. Well, the thing is like, at this point, the upside risk here, and and this is interesting because I looked it up after hearing um, that comment. I was like, what the hell? Why would there be an upside risk? Well, if you can't provide that demand with your products, other supply chains will be built. For example, um, TSMC, that, that company that manufactures, you know, most of everybody's freaking semiconductors on this planet, they will look elsewhere to look for ways to create fabs or, you know, any sort of, you know, whatever the next wave of technologies will be to create these semiconductors with different suppliers. There could be a chance that they miss the opportunity to manufacture this for the companies. Now, I don't know what the intricacies are of their their um, non-competes with each other. They need to fulfill that demand. I think one thing that we can expect um, from the future is that there will be new supply chains built from this process. Because number one, when the government gets in on stuff like this, usually the way that they'll get into it is um, fund research and development, number one. Number two is they fund those companies to start off manufacturing, whether that be in a form of a loan or literally money from the government that will come for free to create these companies. So fulfilling that demand will happen in the next few years. And I don't see that demand going anywhere else in the future you know they will have advancements but if today apple decides okay we need a fab they're not building it they're going to give 100 billion to tsmc to go build a fab that's the only way to get around this because these the chip manufacturers they want like they're not going to buy a build a hundred like a 50 billion dollar fab and then not see any demand right they need to be selling 
So that's one thing. And um, what's happened is it's it's become such a geopolitical. We didn't want to get kind of get into it, but now it starts playing, right? Because TSMC is Taiwan, and you know it's right next to China, and so they are the center of the global race for getting chips, right? It's a small country. So there's a lot of factors that now play into this that, okay, we need to be good to them. We need to provide them a way to maybe set up fabs in the US, which they actually just got greenlit. TSMC got greenlit to um, build a fab in Arizona very close to Intel's because they, I guess, want to poach some of our uh, folks, but uh, build, build something around here. And But even then, they got greenlit. But that project is going to complete in 2028. <laughs> You're mentioning how they're considering, you know, building these fab for $50 billion. Like, just imagine they build this $50 billion fact fabrication. It's ready in 2028. And then a new technology just comes out of, with all this research that's the and development. Thing. So that's the big problem because you never know when that breakthrough happens. And then you have spent all that money setting up tools that are on a previous technology. And then you need to start from ground zero. So you need to know what Apple AMD wants. You need to get that in writing. You will purchase from us. And only then you can go. That's why the the supply side hasn't expanded a whole lot because that demand hasn't really expanded it's more or less met now suddenly when demand spikes it's like bro we can't build (laughs) we can build but in six years i think if there requires a lot of capex and supply and demand shocks happen by nature these industries will get disrupted in a way that we'll not see in other low capex industries in which they'll have a hard time deciding whether this supply chain should be met right now or wait for the next big technology, right? And so the scaling piece of this is is very difficult to find. But again, if we have more minds thinking about this, you know, more people in the process of creating a semiconductor, and maybe if it becomes more open to society and people understand what its contribution to society is, maybe there'll be more people who wake up and and go to college thinking, oh my God, I want to be a, you know, lithographist or whatever the fuck they're called. Right. So that might be the next step. It's it's good that it's forcing um, the U.S. government to kind of act because it's like, OK, this is proprietary technology that you have to support. The big problem with technologies like this is if you don't keep improving, you are more or less dead in the sense if you don't keep putting out a better product that is moving society further, you are failing. So there needs to be like support, government support, be it tax subsidies or something like that, that I think they just uh, announced uh, Biden came out and spoke about how the shortages are affecting everything. So maybe there's more legislation that comes forward that helps uh, these chip manufacturers to kind of take some of the costs of um take some of the risk off the table because you're building a 50 billion dollar fab and next year there's a new technology like you need to be able to protect some of that so i think that is a good direction to go but with regards to technology like i have an iphone 6s okay you can laugh you can mock which i got mocked last night so that's what i'm saying uh it's a five-year-old iphone but even today, that iPhone 6S has more computing power than the computer that landed 
Apollo 11 on the moon. So that's how crazy things are, right? So it's every, every all of us have technologies that were unthinkable like 20, 30 years ago. So what happens in the next 20, 30 years? I don't know. Maybe a genius wakes up and thinks we can get past Moore's Law. And Moore's Law is basically Gordon Moore, who's the founder of Intel, came up with this thing that this principle where he's like, your power of computing doubles every so many years, every two years. So from 1960 to 2000, our computing power and ability has doubled every two to four years. And that's why the, the phone that I have, iPhone 6S, has more computing than what landed the, the rocket on the moon. But at a point we mentioned this where you run into a physics problem where the chip is producing so much power that the heat created by the chip is burning the chip while it's giving you the power. So that's the physics issue. Like, I'm really simplifying it, but you run into physics. So how do you, like, get past it? What, what do you do? What is, the, what is the next move? And that's the next trillion dollar idea, I guess. Hey, thanks so much for listening to our show this week. You could subscribe to us. And if you're feeling generous, well, you could even leave us a review. Trust me, it goes a long, long way. You could also follow THC at THC underscore pod on Twitter and LinkedIn. This is Things Have Changed.